Good morning again, brothers and sisters. So glad to be with you again. Thank you, Sean and elders, for inviting me to come and share the word. It's just good to be with you all. God has done so many things in our lives together over the years, and uh, I'm an incredibly blessed man to have you as my family. Thank you, Robert, for praying for us. Um, in case some of you are newer and don't know me, I'm George, and Robert prayed for George and Linda and what they're doing in Africa, and we actually have the privilege of continuing to contribute to the African churches and the leaders that I've trained over, oh, I suppose, 25 years now. So talk about a big family and a blessed person. That, that would be me. And you might pray, you know, I'm just dying to get back there, stuck here. Well, if you're going to be stuck, the coast of Maine isn't a bad place to be stuck, I have to say. But uh, I'm trying to be prudent about when it would be appropriate to get back and do some work face-to-face. But fortunately, by the miracle of technology, I'm actually teaching a class in Uganda but using the internet and using Zoom. And so there are ways in the kingdom of God to go around some of these small matters like a global pandemic. So thank you for your prayers. Thank you for supporting Dominic and Rejoice and Kyoko, my dear friends. And uh, yeah, we'll see what God does next. We'll see what God does next. So... Beloved, since God so loved us, let us love. Amen. I won't stop yet. I'm going to talk about love again. Huh? You might have known that was coming. I think I warned you last week. But, you know, there's this legend about uh, the Apostle John who was one of the younger apostles in the presence of Jesus, and then he lived apparently according to tradition. Now, this isn't in the Bible, but we get it from early church sources. John lived a long life and ministered uh, until he was a pretty old man. And as he grew older, it seems in some ways from the record that his uh, teaching grew even simpler. We sense some of that in the, uh, the letters that he wrote as he was older. And The legend has it that one of his disciples went up to him at one point and said, my dear apostle, (laughs) it seems like the only thing you ever talk about is love. Why don't you talk about anything else? John said, reportedly, because there isn't anything else. So I feel like I'm in good company for us to think again today about love. Now, I gave you last week, and you weren't all here, it's a holiday weekend, there was stuff going on, but I gave a definition, because that word love is so messy nowadays. So let me remind you of the definition we're working with. When you hear the word love, this is the meaning that's packed in there. It's a determination of the will Notice it's a willful thing, not just a ooh, okay? Termination of the will that no matter who this person is, 
no matter what kind of relationship we have with them, no matter how they treat us, no matter if they injure or grieve us, we will seek their best. might not be what they want, but it will be their best in the sight of God. It is doing the same good for them as those for whom we have a special feeling. It is love to those whom we may or may not like. Okay, a little more. It's tough love. Not a feeling of the heart, a resolve of the will. It's the love God has for all of us. Love no matter what. It's the love Jesus had and has. Should change the tense on that. For his disciples. That's us, isn't it? So that's what we're talking about. Now last week I I showed you uh, a little cheat sheet that I uh, have stuffed in my day timer, my, my little calendar book. And every morning when I figure out what I'm doing that day, I get this out and I do it again. And it's Luke 6, and it's Jesus' first real block of teaching according to the Gospel of Luke. It's Discipleship 101. This isn't like the advanced master's degree class. What's well, the master's class, but it's Jesus' starting point for those of us who are in his kingdom. And this is just a code so I can rehearse it in my mind, which I try to do daily. By the way, I commend this to you. Love your enemies. That's where Jesus starts. Do good to those who don't do good to you. Bless the ones who curse you. Pray for those who are hostile toward you. Do unto others what you want them to do for you. Give, give lavishly, generously. Don't condemn, but forgive. Get the log out of your eye so you can help somebody else. Be merciful. Well, that's my uh, daily dose. (laughs) Uh, I should do it more than once a day, apparently. But I want us to think about this today because... I confessed to you last week that I, I'm not great at this yet. I've been doing this a while, been reading it for years, but my own neediness, I suppose, my own brokenness gets in the way. There are some people I do not want to love. I'm not going to mention any names this morning, but his, this, his initials are... Oh, wait, I, I wasn't going to do that, was it? And so, it was so good last week to come to the Lord's table, to do Holy Communion together, to celebrate mercy. Mercy. Remember the song we sang? What riches of kindness He lavished on us. His blood was the payment. Life was the cost. He stood beneath a debt we could never afford. Our sins... They are many. His mercy is great. And so we shared bread and we shared that little bit of uh, juice and we heard the words of Jesus speaking to us even as he spoke to that woman at the dinner party when he said, your sins are forgiven. Your faith has saved you. And oh, that was good. 
That was good. And part of why I go back here is because it was holiday and some of you weren't here, but we also need to start here if any of this is going to be possible at all. You see, um, here's sort of a formula stated in a very prosaic way. The extent to which someone truly loves will be positively correlated to the degree that person is stunned and silenced by the wonder that his huge debt has been forgiven. When I get it, like that woman in the story we read last week, when I get it, love happens. If you know that Christ has paid the price for you, if you were singing this morning, following Ruth's lead, Wonderful. Thank you, Ruth, for all your work on that. It, it was the sermon. Amazing how the Holy Spirit does that, huh? But if you were absorbing all of that as you sang it out, then there is a, a necessary and coherent, really the only logical response, which is, beloved, since God so loved us, let us love. Let us love. That text we read from 1 John was something, wasn't it? You know, if you're not loving your brother or sister, the love of God, you missed it. Whoa. Whoa. So, once we get that Christ died, that God demonstrated his love for us, in that Christ died for our sins, while we were still sinners. You know, Romans 5, verse 8 and following. Once we get that, love starts to happen. So, when I encounter another person, even an enemy, I have to remember The unfathomable, unchangeable love of God. Um, I think we should read this chapter from Luke 6, where my uh, cheat sheet comes from. So, Luke chapter 6. As I said, in the Gospel of Luke, this is the beginning. Uh, You know the Gospel of Luke, a lot of you. You've read it a bunch of times. There's the stories of the birth of Christ and then his temptation, and then his baptism, and then he launches into ministry, and there are some powerful moments of healing, and uh, some conflict right away surrounding the healing, and then Jesus finally gathers people together, and he chooses 12 to be special emissaries, and then he says, all right, let's sit down, now I'm going to teach you. And as he prepares to teach, this is where he starts, Luke chapter 6, and Verse 22, I'm sorry, 27. Hear the word of the Lord. Sorry. I tell you who hear me, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Someone strikes you on one cheek, turn to him the other also. If someone takes your cloak, 
Don't stop them from taking your tunic. Give to everyone who asks of you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others. You would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High because He is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. And that's the word of our Lord. That's the word of our Lord. What are we to do with that? Does that get you all churned up and like, seriously? Come on, Jesus. Well, I think the first thing to do with this is to remind ourselves that this is Jesus. (laughs) And that he is the way. And that he knows life. And that he knows the path to freedom. Remember, this is Jesus who said, Are you tired? Come unto me, all you who are weary and burdened down. I'll give you rest. And then he says, take my yoke and learn of me. You see, this is actually as uh, demanding as it may sound at first. This is actually the path to life. If you trust that Jesus is not, you know, disturbed. So we can trust him when he teaches us something. Now, I don't want you to see this as just Jesus raising the bar like super high to prove that we're all losers. Okay? Some people read it that way. It's like, well, it makes it so impossible that we all just fall on our faces, plead for mercy. That's not a bad thing. But that's not what's going on here. The other thing is it's not really a a specific list where you analyze each thing and then try to mimic it precisely. It's a way of seeing life and people. And it's a way of walking in the love of God. And it all kind of actually hangs together. So in the next few minutes, I just want to suggest to you these are the two big, big, big ideas that are the ground and foundation of the Luke 6 teaching on love. If you're standing firm on this rock of certainty, which you can, then the love part actually starts to flow. So, what's number one? Well, called it here, um, yeah, what must we believe in my gut, not just as an idea that I learned somewhere, but like those little songs that we learned in Sunday school, deep down in, what must I believe? Here's number one. Number one, gut level certainty that frees me to love in outrageous ways. Not hard, heard this before. 
Speaking of little songs, Ruth, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. If I get that, if I actually really get that, it changes everything. And if I'm in the presence of an enemy, somebody that's hostile, somebody I really don't like, here's where I got to start. Jesus loves me. I'm secure. I'm not needy. I don't need to prove anything. I don't need to win this argument. I don't need to overcome you and dominate you. I'm good. Jesus loves me. This I know. That makes all the difference, actually, when we're engaging with an enemy of any kind. It's interesting how many of the Bible's exhortations for us to act are rooted in just as God has done for you. Over and over. Think of the New Testament ones. Um, where did I write? I wrote down uh, Ephesians 5.1. Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are his dear children. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ, who loved us and offered himself. You see, over and over the Bible says you can do this because you know what God has done for you. We're not just summoned to pull ourselves up by our shirt collars and grit our teeth and do what we can. We're grounded in an ocean of huge, unrelenting love extravagant, unchangeable love. This is who I am. So when I face you in a tense confrontation, I'm good. Do you know that? Do you sense it? It's interesting how many of the Old Testament exhortations actually do the same thing. When God would reveal a, a, a law, a commandment to Israel, he would usually end it by saying, and, you know, remember who you were and what God did for you. I, I wrote one down here somewhere, I think. Um, this is from Exodus. This is chapter 15. So, this is, you know, God is sort of organizing his people now that they're free and redeemed. Redemption has happened. It's behind them. God has done this for them. And so now he comes to them and said, let me show you how life is going to work. When you live under my care and under my kingship, here's how we do it. There must be no poor people among you because God is going to bless you lavishly in this land. The land your God is giving you as an inheritance, your very own land. You see, it's given. It's a gift. You don't need to fight or demand or try to overcome. Here, this is yours. God says that to them. He says that to us. Only if you listen obediently to the voice of God, your God, diligently observing every commandment that I command you. Oh yes, God, your God, will bless you as he has promised. When you happen on someone who's in trouble or needs help among you, among your own people with whom you live in this land your God is giving you, keep stressing that, doesn't he? Gift, 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 gift. We're, we're standing... In, uh, in grace. 
So when you happen upon someone, don't look the other way, pretending you don't see them. That's what I usually do on the street, don't you? It's like cross the street if there's a homeless guy there. It's like, I don't want to do this. Don't look the other way pretending you don't see him. Don't keep a tight grip on your purse. No, look at him. Open your purse. Lend whatever as much as he needs. Don't count the cost. This is where Jesus got his teaching for us, isn't it? Jesus says, this is actually new stuff. Huh. Don't count the cost. Give freely and spontaneously. Don't have a stingy heart. The way you handle matters like this triggers God, your God's blessing in everything you do, all your work and ventures. There are always going to be poor people and needy people among you. It doesn't stop there, by the way. It goes on. There's always poor people around. So I command you, always be generous. Open your purse and hands. Give to your neighbors in trouble, your poor and hurting neighbors. Now here's the foundation. Here's where the energy and desire comes from. Don't for a minute forget that you were once slaves in Egypt. God, your God, redeemed you from that slave world. Remember who we were before Christ? Remember what he has done? And all of a sudden, this confrontation with the enemy Looks very, very different. Looks very, very different. Because I'm okay. I'm good. Well, let me tell you the other one. The other gut-level certainty that frees and enables me in a situation to do love. And uh, it's this. Oh, that's another Deuteronomy text, by the way. When he's talking about how you treat strangers and immigrants, he says the same thing. Open your hearts, open your hands, because you remember who you were. You were a bunch of slaves, and you remember what God did. Memory of God's mercy in the past frees us to live generously. Oh, there's the Ephesians 5. Boy, sorry, I got these all out of of whack. Go ahead to the next one. Here's... The second thing. The first one is, Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. The second one is, that other person, that enemy, is God's handiwork. Created by the Father as a beloved child. And continuously at this moment, loved by God. There are a lot of people where I wish God wouldn't do that, you know? I wish you'd really give it to them. And as soon as I say that, you can see I've forgotten who I am, where I've come from, and how much mercy I've received. But when I remember that about this person, oh my, my engagement with this person looks very different, doesn't it? Paul explains the theology of this when he's speaking to the Greeks in Athens, in Acts chapter 17. Um, I think that Acts 17 thing is there. Oh, well, yeah, I guess I should add this, shouldn't I? No matter how corrupted, broken, or rebellious my enemy is, he's the object of God's indestructible 
everlasting love. That guy who's caused so much hurt and harm. Everything in me wants to hate. And like me, he's the object of God's love. There's that Psalm 139 verse on the bottom there. You created me in my mother's womb. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. You know, we often read that to uh, affirm ourselves, <laughs> to build our own self-esteem. Oh, I, God just he formed every little part of me, every little bone and muscle and molecule. God made me. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Hallelujah. And it is very absolutely true. But guess what? It applies to this other guy too. He's the handiwork of God. Broken, messed up, destructive, sure, but loved. But loved. As I said, Acts, which is the next scene, Paul says, The God who made the world and everything in it is Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by hands. He, op- he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. Once again, the gift of God. From one man he made all the nations. They're all God's that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. You see, this doesn't just apply to us, the favored nation. This is comprehensive, isn't it? God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he's not far away from any of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. So, no one escapes this assessment as being a child of God, a good creation of God. This is a little prayer that I'm trying to get into my daily round multiple times a day to embrace this reality. Lord, please help me to see you in all those people I don't like. Or do not understand. I need to see their faults, their indifferences as a reflection of my own. Because they probably are. You know, I suppose the things that really irk me, get me so riled up, are actually a reflection of my own issues. Huh? Isn't that kind of the way it works? Lord, I pray for them as vulnerable and often lonely people me to see you in them. Help me to see them in me. May all our hearts and minds be open. I commend that little prayer to you. So there's two powerful assumptions about life that are the foundation for Jesus' teaching in Luke chapter 6. One, Jesus loves me. This I know. I'm good. Got my back. He's got my front. He's got my top. He's got my bottom. He's got me. 
And this one that I am so ah, exercised about is a beloved child of God. And if those things are absorbed, Luke chapter 6, the words of our master, they happen. They flow out. They really do. It becomes doable. Now, let me just real quick give you some very practical steps. Well, they're steps, but they're things we can do in hostile situations, okay? Uh, we need some practical ways as Jesus followers to deal with our very hostile, fractured culture today, don't we? I mean, things are bad, you know? Anybody I even have a mild disagreement nowadays has become a, an enemy. They're stupid, they're dangerous, they're unpatriotic, they're... Uh, uh. It's, it's hard out there. So as Christians, we have a phenomenal opportunity, actually, to show an alternative way in the name of Jesus. Sadly, churches aren't doing so well these days. We can be just as polarized. We need to repent of this. Because this is our moment to show the way of Jesus. To offer our culture, which is shredded by disrespect and hatred, venomous conflicts. We need to show the world a way of actually disagreeing. Because this isn't about everybody just rolling over on their belly, on their backs, and just, oh, life is good. This is about having real disagreements, but walking in the Spirit so that we work through these in the way of Jesus. So here's some ideas, okay? Do it fast because the clock is moving here. Number one, be ruthlessly honest with yourself. I got to start with me. I got to figure out why I am so worked up about this thing, this issue. Whenever that comes on the news, I just go berserk. I'm confessing my sins to you now. I need to pray Psalm 139, the other end of it, the back of Psalm 139. Investigate my life, oh God. Find out everything about me. Cross-examine me. Test me. Get a clear picture of what I'm about. See for yourself whether I've done anything wrong and guide me the road to eternal life. You see, before I jump in and start sorting you out, i got to come before God. Number two, I need to repent. I don't know about you. Maybe way further along on the road, but I, I have not done great for all these years I've been around. i got some repenting to do. Remember Jesus' little story about the log in my eye? You know, I can see you have a real problem, and I'm going to extract that little bit of sawdust from your eye, but I got this telephone pole in my eye, says Jesus. In other words, start with my stuff, because this interaction is not going to go well unless I'm humble and open in the sight of God. Rule of thumb is necessary. For starters, concentrate on your own sinfulness and on the other person's humanness. 
Number three, see the other person with whom I may disagree is a beloved child of God for whom Jesus died. Paul says, honor one another above yourselves. More simply stated, see him the way Jesus does. We can do this through the power of the Holy Spirit because God's got our back. Number four, listen to that so-called adversary. That's why James tells us, quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. And the wisdom of Proverbs, (laughs) oh, that's talking about me. Answering before listening is both stupid and rude. By the way, you know, there's a women's retreat, so there might be a higher percentage of guys here this morning. (laughs) So just a word to the men. We got to take the lead. We're supposed to be leaders, aren't we? Leaders in our homes. We have to take the lead. Not just thumping our chests and demanding to be respected. Because the scripture says, husbands... Love your wives just as Christ loved the church. So all of this is a special message to a husband and a father. This is how we exercise our headship in the way of Christ. And listening sometimes isn't our strong suit, is it? Yes, dear. Number five, we should assess the weightiness of an issue. We're going to go to war over this. Is it a core gospel concern? Really? Is it adiaphora? Isn't that a cool word? It's a Greek word of sort of historically as defined issues that aren't ultimate. Matters of indifference, I think, is the actual translation. But, you know, our our ancestors in the faith said there are some things that you'd absolutely die for. There are gospel convictions, theological, central doctrines, and you battle for these, but then there are adiaphora. The church hasn't been in agreement on these things. The church over centuries hasn't spoken with one voice, so let's not destroy each other over those. Huh? So we need to assess. I'm about to have it out with you. What kind of an issue is this really? Is that old statement from the Reformation and necessary things, we're together. We embrace arms. We stand as one. Uncertain things, we give some freedom. But in everything, we exercise compassion. That's good counsel. Dealing with enemies. Number six, seriously, really seriously, study the Bible, brothers and sisters. There's way too much garbage and poison entering your mind through social media. And if the percentages are way off, 70% social media, 2% Bible, you're going to be a mess. So get off Facebook and get in the Word. For Jesus' sake. 
Because the Word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates to the dividing soul and joints and marrow, judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Wow, do we need that now? Nothing in all creation is hidden in God's sight. Everything uncovered and laid bare. So please, let's renew our commitment. Summer's over. We're building our habits for the fall. Reverse the percentages of social media versus Scripture. In Jesus' name, renounce it if you have to. Renounce these bizarro things that are floating around out there. They're killing us. And they're damaging the reputation of Jesus. Uh, What number are we on here? Seven. Speak the truth as you understand it without a crusading spirit. Destroy. Take no prisoners. Crush the opposition. Paul says, yes, be always ready to give an answer for what you believe in Christ, but do it with gentleness and respect. Do it with gentleness and respect. Number eight, practice Christian civility. I read a book where the president of a seminary used this language called Uncommon Decency. And I thought, wow, this is a book for our day, isn't it? (laughs) And so he called us to just be what we used to call civil. Mannered, kind, appropriate. Um, By the way, this does not mean you renounce conviction. Please do not hear that. Dealing with other human beings often means dealing with ideas and behaviors we simply don't like. As Christians, we ought not to like. We're not saying everything goes. It's okay. Hakuna Matata. But we're saying there's a way to engage with falsehood and lies, corruption and evil that is not destructive. We must show honor to all God's human creatures. God created all human beings, even the shattered and broken ones are his original works of art. And then number 10, cultivate skills as a peacemaker. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. You know, I actually ran a doctoral program. Really smart dudes. Way smarter than me. I ran a doctoral program in Africa and a big chunk, 50% of the curriculum was about peacemaking. Because we realized a lot of these Leaders and pastors have gone through their whole seminary education and been in ministry, and they never seriously considered peacemaking or how to deal with conflict. I looked at my seminary. Nobody ever taught me how to deal with conflict. But there are practices and procedures and ways that have been tried. And, you know, I just I want to recommend we train in our church for a lot of things, and that's great. We train you to work with young people, train you to teach in the children's ministry. Maybe we train uh, elders how to give spiritual guidance. I don't know what we're training, but we're training a lot of people. We should have a training 
about being peacemakers. Imagine if we had a squad in the church when something was erupting in the church or in the community or in a home. We had people with certain wisdom and discernment and skill to engage and help people walk through a difficult situation. That would be a great ministry, wouldn't it? That would be cool if something was happening, you know, like, like is happening in all these school board meetings that we're seeing around the country where people are threatening to kill other people because of masks. Wouldn't it be amazing if a school board member said, hey, you know, the church down there, the, the Lund Road Church, they actually have a team that intervenes in really tense situations. Why don't we call the peacemaking squad from Trinity to come and help us work this out? That would be way cool. So anyhow, suggestions to you. As we love one another and love enemies in the name of Jesus. Because friends, think of how God has loved us. There was a sort of prophetic guy, prophetic guy, back in the 80s, named Francis Schaeffer. Some of you remember Schaeffer. Spoke very courageously into a lot of chaos. Schaeffer said this, we must not forget the final apologetic. Our love must have a form that the world may observe, must be seeable. Love and the unity it attests to is the mark Christ gave Christians to wear before the world. Only with this mark may the world know that Christians are indeed Christians and that Jesus was sent by the Father. In the power of the Holy Spirit, we can love. Amen.